0: reported the information using the famous words, Houston, we have a problem. Actually, the phrase was probably not that smooth uh, until Hollywood made a movie about it, uh, but similar words were used. According to NASA.gov, there was a fault in the electrical system that caused two oxygen tanks to fail, one of them blew up, and then there was some electrical system failure, so the lights were blinking and the alarms were going off, and it was a problem. So mission control quickly leaped into action was able to guide the astronauts through the issue and get them back to earth safely. The mission was deemed a successful failure. Could you imagine that? Two days into your journey to the moon, you hear a loud noise and things start going haywire. I mean, you're not even on the planet and you have a problem. That would be scary. In Joshua chapter 7, We see a similar scenario. My title for this chapter is, Houston, we have a problem. Up to this point, Israel has been blessed by God with victory as they are taking over the promised land with their new leader, Joshua. Joshua chapter 6 records the great victory over Jericho. If you remember, the people of Israel marched around the city once a day, and then on the seventh day, they marched around seven times, and they blew their trumpets, and they shouted, and the walls fell. And the people easily took the city. The Lord was on their side, and they were conquesting the land with ease. But when we come to Joshua chapter 7, the scene is different. There's a problem. And that problem is sin. This is a recurring theme in the Old Testament. Remember Abraham, the patriarch of our faith, was an adulterer and a liar. Moses, the great leader of Israel who led them out of Egypt, murdered someone, and he was prideful. David, the great king of Israel who wrote love letters to God, was an adulterer and a murderer. These people were sinners. And the truth is, this is our problem too. You and I have this problem too. We are sinners. And this theme of mankind's problem with sin shows its ugly head in Joshua chapter seven. The main point of this chapter is, God's holiness will not allow his people to remain in sin. God's holiness will not allow his people to remain in sin first we're going to read Joshua 6 27 and then uh, verse 1 of chapter 7 So, Joshua 6 27 says so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan the son of Carmi son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Lord, this is a heavy subject. We pray that you would give us grace to understand and may your spirit work in our lives and change us into the image of Christ. Bless this time, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as mentioned, the context of Joshua 7 is Israel has just had great victory over Jericho. The city of Jericho was an ancient fortress. They had walls up to 12 feet thick, and it was built on the top of a hill. It would have been considered impenetrable to an ancient army. But it was no match for the God of Israel, and Israel had no problem taking it over. They didn't lose a single life. Joshua 6 ends on a high note. The Lord was with Joshua. But that doesn't last long. Verse 1 of chapter 7 starts with a but. It's a contrast from the previous chapter. God is angry with Israel. Because this random guy named Achan has sinned. And now the whole nation is guilty in God's eyes. To understand the the nature of Achan's sin, we have to look back at Joshua chapter 6, verses 15 through 19. It says, On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets Joshua said to the people shout for the Lord has given you the city and the city and all that is in it, within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you Keep yourselves from the devoted things for destruction, lest when you have been devoted that, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So Joshua gives them the clear command We're gonna take the city or we're gonna destroy everything. The silver and the gold the gold will, will donate to the treasury of the Lord, but everything is to be destroyed. We're not going to plunder this city. We're going to destroy everything. Because this is God's victory, not ours. And Achan disobeyed this. God gave them the clear command through Joshua to take nothing, but Achan stole. Leviticus 27, 28-29 gives us God's law concerning these devoted things. It says, but no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord, of anything that he has, whether man or beast, or of his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. No one devoted who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. This is a very serious thing. And Achan probably knew this law, and he definitely would have known the command from Joshua, but he willfully disobeyed God. He had stolen from the devoted things, and now the whole nation was going to pay for it. God is angry with Israel because of one man's sin. The nature of sin and the holiness of God required the Lord to punish them. So we have the crisis in verses 2 through 5. Coming off the victory of Jericho, the people are confident. It says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up. but we'll let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. As you can tell, the people are confident. But if you notice in these verses, there's no mention of prayer. There's no mention of seeking God's direction. With every victory, with every move that Israel has made up to this point, God has told them to do. God has directed them, this is what we're going to do, this is how we're going to do it. But coming off this great victory, they're getting a little overconfident. They're like, hey, let's keep going. Let's go get Ai, the next city in our path. Even Joshua was confident. And so he sends the 3,000 men to attack Ai which they said is a very small city, but you find out in chapter eight, it had about 12,000 people. So it's not insignificant. I looked up the 2020 census for Hillsdale, had a population in 2020 of about or 8,000 people. So AI would have been bigger than Hillsdale. So it's not a tiny city, it's, it's pretty large in ancient standards. So the people are very confident. But, so what happens next? Verses four through five. So about 3,000 men went up from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. The small army is quickly turned back and 36 men are killed. This is an embarrassment to Israel. They would have been completely demoralized as the description in verse 5 says, their hearts melted and became as water. If you've read through Joshua, you'll know that that phrase is actually repeated a couple different times. In chapter 2, it's used to refer to the Canaanites when they heard about Israel and they had heard about Israel's God and the things that he was doing for them. Their hearts melted and became as water. It's used in chapter 5 to describe the Canaanite kings that heard of Israel crossing over the Jordan River on on dry ground. They had heard of how God had blessed them, and their hearts had melted and became as water. But now it's being used of God's own people. They're completely demoralized. It's important to apply here that yesterday's victory doesn't make us immune from defeat today. Just because I had victory over sin yesterday doesn't mean I'm not going to struggle with it today. Sin will creep into our lives if we are not careful to daily surrender to God and His strength. You will fail on your own. You will fail in your fight against sin if you are depending on your own strength. That's why we must daily surrender to God and His strength. So we have this rising tension in verses 6-9. through It says in verse 6, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. Joshua is dismayed at the news of defeat. He's confused by the reality that God's people were just defeated by this small pagan city. And he asks questions that reveal this inner turmoil in verses 7 through 9. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all, to give us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? You see, Joshua's heart is just being poured out here. He's concerned that the Canaanites would hear this news of Israel's defeat, and they would come and beat them all they're down. He's ultimately concerned with the reputation of God. He said, God, I know that you are holy and good and perfect, but something right now is going wrong, and I don't understand why. The first truth about our holy God that we see in this passage is, God withholds his blessings when we have been disobedient. God withholds his blessings when we have been disobedient. God would not allow Israel to continue to have victory. He didn't allow them to have victory over AI. Because at that point, they were no better than AI. They had broken the covenant, and God had to punish their sin. Sometimes we go through hard times Because we're walking in self-confidence. God uses our failures, our mistakes, our trials to bring us back to relying on and submitting to him. God withholds his blessings when we have been disobedient. So far in chapter 7, God has been silent, but not for long. The story finds its climax in verses 10 through 13. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more. Unless you destroy the the devoted things from among you. God speaks after Israel has lost and Joshua has turned to him for help. God explains the whole scenario in three words Israel has sinned. If you remember, Joshua has been here before. He was a part of the 12 spies that went to spy out Canaan, and he was one of the good ones. And he came back and said, Yes, we can do this with God on our side, we can take the land. The other ten said, no, we can't do this. And so God punished Israel. He sent them out into the wilderness to die because they had disobeyed him. Because they lacked confidence in him. So Joshua has seen this before. And so you can just imagine the fear that those words would bring to his heart. He probably began to shake in his boots and get sweaty. Probably got a lump in his throat. When he heard those words, Israel has sinned. And God tells Joshua they had broken the covenant by taking of the devoted things. Then he gives Joshua this sobering dilemma Deal with this sin, or else I will leave you. The presence of God is the really the main command, the main blessing of the people of Israel. God would be their God and they would be his people. And as they were going to take the land, they would obey him, and God would be their God, and now he's saying, I will leave you if you don't deal with this. God would deal with Israel as they were supposed to deal with the devoted things unless they dealt with their sin. Then God lays out the the instructions for dealing with this sin in verses 13 through 15. It says, get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribes that the Lord takes shall come near by the clans. And the clans that the Lord takes shall come near my household. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord. And because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Joshua and the people were to consecrate themselves because God is about to act. In the Old Testament, consecration involved washing your clothes and bathing in water and abstaining from certain things in preparation for God's work. When God was about to work among them, they were to consecrate themselves. God commanded Israel to find the offender and to destroy him and all that he had clearly God takes sin seriously when he commands us to do something or not to do something he means it we must be obedient our holy God demands our total obedience so then we have the resolution in verses 16 through 26 Joshua and the whole congregation assembled to let God pick out the offender and the process is described in verse 16 so Joshua rose early in the morning and basically does what the Lord told him to do. They come near by tribe, and the tribe of Judah is taken. And they come near my clans, and the clan of the Zerites is taken. And then, the, then Zabadi is taken, and then and eventually the lot falls on Achan. Verse 18, and he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabadi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Achan is chosen And the gig's up. And he confesses his sin in verse 20. And Joshua says to him, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. Tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Achan confesses his sin. The gig's up. Notice the parallel of Achan with Eve in the Garden of Eden. Achan said he saw, he coveted, he took, and then he hid the goods. Eve in the Garden saw the fruit, that it was good for food, took, and ate hid. Sin has a pattern and is displayed in Achan is displayed in Eve. But also notice, Achan had everything going for him. He was a part of God's people. He had seen God do great things. He crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. He saw the walls of Jericho fall. And yet Achan chose sin. Eve, who lived in the Garden of Eden, who had the presence of God, who lived in perfection, chose Sin. There's also a contrast in this chapter with the previous chapter of Rahab. If you remember the story of Rahab, she, was a, uh, she lived in Jericho. She was a prostitute. She had nothing going for her. She grew up in a pagan city. And then when the moment came, when the God of Israel was presented before her, she had faith. And because of it, her and her family were saved. Rahab chose God by faith. But Achan chose sin. So the messengers go and they confirm Achan's confession. And they place the devoted things before God in the assembly in verses 22 and 23. Then verse 24, the people seize Achan and his family and his possessions. It says, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver and the gold and the cloak, the bar of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought them up to the valley of Acre. Notice once again, Achan was a wealthy man. He had a lot of things. God had richly blessed him, and yet when the moment came, he still chose sin. Now he's about to pay the penalty. So the people seize them, and they take them out of the camp. Verse 25, and Joshua said, Why do you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Acre. Israel's obedience and the destruction of the offender pleased God's anger. The second truth that we learn from this passage about our holy God is God is gracious even when we don't realize it. God is gracious even when we don't understand. God used the events of this chapter to purify and humble his people. He allowed Achan to sin. He allowed Israel to go against Ai. He allowed them to lose the battle. And now he has turned from his anger because Israel has humbled themselves and obeyed. God didn't excuse their sin, he didn't ignore it, but he graciously brought them back to himself. God is completely holy even in his graciousness. So this is the story of Achan, the story of Israel. And God purifying His people because of their sin. But wait a minute, you and I still have a problem. What about our sin? Who, who, what, what? Do we have to be like Achan? Do we have to be taken out of the camp and burned with fire? Who's going to satisfy God's wrath for our sin? In the passage, the death of Achan is what satisfies God's. Holy wrath. Only death can satisfy God's burning wrath against against sin. But thankfully, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, died for us. Second Corinthians 5.21, talking about the death of Christ, says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ was killed like Achan so that we can live like Christ. So that we can be sons and daughters of God. Christ died in our place so that we can be forgiven. God can show grace to us and remain completely holy because of what Jesus did on the cross. The cross is the perfect symbol of holiness and grace where the two meet forever because God remained completely holy in his dealings but yet he has given us grace forever through his son Jesus died like Achan so that we can live like Jesus he took our place God's holiness will not allow his people to remain in sin we serve a holy God and his holiness cannot allow sin into his presence God did not allow Israel to continue their conquest while there was sin in the camp he let them lose because he wanted them to purify themselves, to turn back to him 1 Corinthians 5-6 says concerning sin, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump sin is deceptive Sin is destructive. It will creep into your life without you even noticing it. And we see this problem of sin throughout the Bible. It's almost in every chapter, this problem of sin and mankind's problem with sin. But that's why God gave us Jesus to deal with our sin for us. Sadly, we have this problem of sin even today. We try to convince ourselves that our sin's not that big of a deal. Right, we try to like make and hide it in our tent. It's not that big of a deal. No one's going to know about. It. And that might be true, but God knows, and you can't hide your sin from God. It's a problem to God. But because of Jesus and His work on the cross, we don't have to hide our sin. We don't have to hide it in our tent. With Christ, we have eternal forgiveness. We don't have to hide our sin. Rather, we can turn to our gracious Savior and rest in his loving arms. Because he is able and willing to forgive us. Are you resting in the loving arms of your Savior, Jesus? Are you turning to him, confessing your sin, knowing that he will forgive you? Don't try to hide your sin. Deal with it, because Christ dealt with it for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Achan and Joshua. Lord, we thank you for your grace that you have given to us through your son. We thank you that Jesus took our sin on the cross and has given us eternal life. Thank you, O God, for your word. Pray that you'd bless these people as they've heard your truth. Help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.